Welcome to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're a covenant church located in western Wisconsin, and you can find out more information about us at BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and I want to thank you for listening. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, open our ears and soften our hearts to hear uh, what you have to say today um, and help us to respond uh, respond to your word, uh, moved by your spirit. In your name, amen. Amen. Uh, so we've, we've been in this, in this uh, little mini sermon series talking about um, three, um, three uh, kind of public relations mistakes that Jesus made in his ministry. Uh, so we're, we're roasting Jesus. Last time, uh, last time we talked about how um, Jesus uh, couldn't get anything done because he was too busy serving other people. Um, and how uh, uh, the way of gathering power and growing stronger and changing the world today, obviously we know well, is to get people to serve you. Uh, but instead, when the God of the universe came down to the earth, uh, he did the opposite. He served people. In fact, uh, we, we read the story of a time uh, that Jesus stopped in the middle of his mission to help um, one random blind beggar on the side of the road into Jerusalem. Uh, and so that was, um, we, we talked about that and how um, <clears throat> the reason that Jesus does these things differently is because he believes uh, that the way of the world that, that we know as, as the real world is sort of, is actually not the way that the world works. He believes that God is in charge of the whole world. Uh, and so he's trying to show uh, what that uh, different kingdom looks like. And so today uh, we're talking about something else that, that Jesus did um, that, um, um, would not be advisable for anybody trying to build a movement today. And, and the thing that Jesus did was he, he constantly, uh, I was trying to think of the best way to say this, uh, he constantly alienated his, his base, okay? So his, his closest supporters, the people that were most on his team, uh, Jesus was constantly um, challenging them and, and alienating them. Jesus um, refused to play the hits. Uh, you know, like um, if you were to go... Um, you know, you know, if you've ever been to a concert of like a classic old band, you know, and they play the hits at first, and then they bring out their new stuff, and everybody's like, come on, just play, you know, play um, Mr. Roboto, guys. Come on, that's the song. Um, Jesus refuses to play the hits, and so we're going to read a story about that, uh, and, and we're going to talk about why, and we're going to talk about what, uh, what Jesus is, is doing in that, and, and it turns out that there's kind of one kind of core message every time he alienates his his, his base um, that, that he's sticking to, and we're going we're gonna to take a look at that. Uh, but first, I wanted to tell you guys about my, my favorite restaurant in the whole world. Maybe second favorite, because I love Chipotle. Um, but my favorite restaurant is there's this one little restaurant in Colorado Springs. It used to be. It's closed now. It's called Steaksmith. And when I turned 13 years old, my dad told me, now that you're a teenager, for your birthday, you can choose any restaurant that you want to eat at for your birthday dinner, and you can have whatever you want. And, and I had been, at some point, to Steaksmith. Steaksmith is a classic, you know, like, cool steakhouse place, right? And I was like, I want to go to Steaksmith, Dad, and I want to have a, a New York strip steak and a shrimp cocktail and, and a cheesecake. I think I thought I was from the 40s. Uh, the, or the, yeah, but this was it, and it was a beautiful, it's the best restaurant ever. I, I loved it. Um, <clears throat> and so we would, we'd go in, and I would place my order, and, and this was a, a nice, well, I thought it was like the nicest restaurant ever, looking back, who knows. Um, 
And you sit down, you have to have a reservation, and, and you have to wear, I don't know if you really had to wear a shirt with a collar, but my parents made me wear a shirt with a collar sometimes. And we'd sit at the table, and they'd come, and the, the waiters would wear these really cool leather aprons. Like, after they took your order, they'd, like, maybe go back into the kitchen and, like, butcher the cow or something. I don't think they did that. Uh, and it, it took forever. And, and I loved it. And every year, from 13 until it closed, on my birthday, I ate at Steaksmith, even, even the last few years as an adult. Uh, but there's one, there's one problem about Steaksmith, is you start, you, you pick your, your reservation late, so you're really hungry. Um, and it takes forever because they're, you know, they're butchering the cow right there, probably. Um, <clears throat> but there's one thing that they offer to you at any good steakhouse, right? It's that weird brown bread that's super delicious, and they put this, like, special sugar butter next to it. And we would come, and I'd be hungry, and I would just sit there, me and my dad, and we would just demolish loaf after loaf of this, like, amazing steakhouse bread. And, and I, um, I, as you know, I'm, I'm into cheesecake and, and steak, so I can eat a lot, um, but I'll tell you, when the food finally came, um, <laughs> I never was able to finish it uh, because I had eaten uh, so, much, so much bread. Um, sometimes the things that we want most in the whole world, sometimes the things that we think we need the most in a given moment are not actually the things we need, right? Right. Uh, I'll give you one, one other example. So that's Steaksmith. This is, this is screen time. Uh, those of you that are good parents probably don't know about this, but, but us regular parents know um, that if you let a, a six-year-old, for example, just throwing out an age, um, <clears throat> if you've ever let a, a six-year-old play a video game uh, like Minecraft, don't ever do that, please. Um, but if you ever were to, or, or my, we were really good about not letting him play with tablets, but grandma lets him play with tablets. Um, grandma comes, sorry, sorry, grandma. Um, <clears throat> if you've ever given a, a six-year-old a tablet, uh, here's the thing you need to know. There is no amount of time from the beginning of the universe till the end that is enough time to play on a tablet. Right, <laughs> There is no amount of time. If, if I let Foster, for example, just a random six-year-old, play on a tablet for five minutes and I took it away, you would think that I was, like, stabbing him with a hot knife, right? And if I gave him um, five hours to play on the tablet when I took it away, you'd think I was destroying his whole family, <laughs> There is no amount of time uh, because the, it's, it's beautifully, um, uh, psychologically, sadly designed to key into all the most important parts of our brain that say, this is good for me. And when you take it away, there's, there's, no, there's no limit. I've never seen a, a kid uh, of that age, and, and we try to avoid even the start of this because I've never seen a kid of that age voluntarily put down, put down the tablet. Most adults have this problem, too. Um, <clears throat> Uh, sometimes the things that we think we want and that we're sure we need on a fundamental level uh, are not really the things we need, right? Amen, amen. All right, uh, so, and, and, and watch out, watch out if you ever try and get between me and that bread, though, at, at Steaksmith. <laughs> and watch out if you ever try and take a tablet out of the hands of a six-year-old Woe to the one that gets in the way. And Jesus, he, he gets in the way of the things that people need in this story today. So 
Uh, so in, in John 6, it's a long chapter. We're not going to read all of it, but Jesus does two miracles. Uh, one we already talked about today. Jesus manages to turn five fish and two loaves of bread into enough food to feed, feed 5,000 men and their families. Okay, so that's the first miracle. Five fish, two loaves, 5,000 men and their families. And the second miracle happens by the end of John chapter 6. Uh, those men and their families, they want to make Jesus king. And, and for Jesus' next trick, he takes those 5,000 men and their families, and he transforms them into 12 men. <laughs> he makes uh, 5,000 men and their families disappear. <laughs> and this, this is how he does it. So Jesus has been teaching. He's been doing miracles. The crowds are growing. People are following him. Uh, and a bunch of people, he's been kind of around, uh, around Jerusalem, on the way to Jerusalem. Uh, Passover is coming up. Passover is this high, holy holiday in, in Israel. And so people are traveling to, to go to the city of Jerusalem, but they're running into Jesus. And, and in our story, um, in our scripture, in John 6, uh, Jesus actually has left Jerusalem. And there's this huge crowd of people with him. It says, um, it says that um, in chapter 6, that Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs. Uh, then Jesus went up to a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. And the reason uh, the Bible's telling us this is because Passover is like the, like the biggest day in the year, and if you're traveling as a Jewish person, the place you're going is Jerusalem. And so the idea that 5,000 men and their families would not go to Jerusalem and instead follow Jesus to the side of a mountain is kind of like um, if you had like a, like a pickup football game in the same town as the Super Bowl and you had like 50,000 people show up. Like it's, it's crazy. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, Jerusalem's the place to be if you're religious, if you're a good Jewish person. They probably were already on their way there, but instead they followed Jesus. So something amazing is happening. Uh, but Jesus looks at these crowds he's teaching, and in verse 10... Uh, uh, well, he gets a peek at them, and he can tell that they're hungry because Jesus cares about people. He sees needs. We saw this. And so in, in verse 10, Jesus says, uh, after talking to his disciples, he's, they're hungry, and he wants to feed them. So he says, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. Like I said, about 5,000 men were there. Uh, our, our Bible, um, I was talking about this in Confirmation, uh, it, it's the, the product like of thousands of people and the Holy Spirit bringing it to us. There's nothing in the Bible by accident. And, and the reason why we know there's 5,000 people, uh, it, it's not an accident either. 5,000 men is about the size of a Roman legion, uh, the largest military denomination in Rome. Our, uh, the Gospel of John's trying to tell us something. On the eve of Passover, Jesus is sitting down and feeding an army and their families on the side of the hill. Uh, and, and it comes back to this in verse 11. It says, Jesus took those five loaves, those two fish, he gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When everyone had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, go get the leftovers, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them, and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left off over by the, uh, those who had eaten. Uh, so 12 baskets, this is another intentional number. This is a reminder, 12 baskets, there's 12 tribes in Israel. And so here's Jesus, he's got an army, and he has enough bread to fill, feed all of Israel, is sort of the, the connection here. And so everybody's seeing this amazing miracle, and their bellies are full. In verse 14, it says this, After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. They're getting excited. 
And Jesus, he knows what kind of excitement they have because uh, this is what it says, verse 15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. Uh, So Jesus has an army. He's gathered an army of 5,000 men. He can tell they're excited and ready to go anywhere he wants to go. In fact, he sees they're so excited, he's worried they're going to pick him up and charge into Jerusalem with, with whatever they have, their, whatever implements or weapons they have, and take over the city and set Israel free. And, and Jesus, uh, Jesus says, nope, I, I see an army, and, and this isn't what I'm about. This isn't the kind of power that I'm about. So, so Jesus, knowing they intended to come make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And the rest of chapter 6... Um, most of chapter six is Jesus running away from, from the people. The people are chasing him, so, uh, so Jesus, he, he takes off. He sees their excitement, um, and, he, and, he, and he books it, and, he, and they chase him all over uh, the Sea of Galilee. They get on a boat, and he goes the other way, and, and you have the story of Jesus walking on the water to meet the disciples. All this happens in John, but every time they come to shore, they kind of get out of the boat and get back on shore, the crowds are there still. I mean, it's like, it's like Scooby-Doo. I mean, no matter where they go, the, the crowds are there. They can't get away. Um, and so finally, Jesus stops. He stops running away, and then he, he, addresses, he addresses the crowd. And this is an example of Jesus. Uh, he, this is the beginning of him alienating, alienating, alienating the base. Uh, he says this in verse, second half of verse 26, verse 26b. He's saying this to the crowds that have been chasing him all over the Sea of Galilee. He says, very truly, I tell you, and this is a, a, an expression just like emphasis, like I, I'm telling you, I really believe this, um, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He says, you're, you're here, you're chasing me, not because you believe I have a connection to God, but because your bellies are nice and full uh, but Jesus says this, he says, um, here's a piece of advice, and they don't, they don't like this. He says, don't work for full bellies. Don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And so this is a long back and forth discussion, but it kind of goes like this. Jesus says, look for something deeper than bread from me. And, and they, um, they have this kind of misunderstanding. So he says, do, you know, do uh, God's will. Um, eat what leads to eternal life. And so they say, well, what must we do uh, to, to please God? What must we do uh, for the works? What are the works that God requires? You know, what does God want from us, they say to Jesus. He says, if, if it's not about bread, what does God want? And Jesus says, all you have to do is believe in me. And then they say, okay, well, you know, if we're going to believe in you, uh, this is verse 30b, uh, second half of verse 30. He says, if we're going to believe in you, they say, um, what sign will you give us so that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Um, this crowd, what, what, why were they here? They had seen something already, right? They had seen a, they had seen a sign. He had filled their bellies. But here, uh, when, when Jesus says, all you have to do is believe in me, they say, well, but, but what, what are you going to do for us now? And then they offer a suggestion, which is hilarious, because they just proved Jesus right from the beginning. They say, well, our, our ancestors, um, they ate manna, which is bread. They ate bread in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They quote scripture to Jesus. So Jesus feeds them. He runs away. They find him, and he says, you're only following me because you want more bread. 
They have this little back and forth, and they say, well, we'll really believe in you, Jesus, if you give us more bread, though. <laughs> it's, it's funny. They just prove him right. You know, uh, what are you going to do to prove us? Maybe, maybe some more bread. I know you fed us once, Jesus, but, but we're hungry again. Maybe some more bread from heaven to eat. My belly's empty. I remember, uh, uh, Jesus, you provided once. God, I remember you provided once, but my stomach is empty now. More bread. And as I was reading uh, uh, the scripture this week, uh, I, at least I felt myself that I've, I've been in, in their shoes before, in, in the people chasing after Jesus before. Um, maybe, uh, I know for me, you know, after facing, you know, you face a, a big crisis, you're dealing with conflict in your family, maybe you're dealing with illness or depression or trouble at work, or maybe you just have a bad day or somebody's being a jerk to you, you have to have a difficult conversation. Um, you know, maybe um, the food hasn't come yet or somebody just turned off your Minecraft and there's this, like, thing in you that's like, I don't think there's anything that can be done to help. We have this need and this trouble and, and like me, maybe you pray for that need. You know, you have that person who's sick and you just, you pray for them or you have that work issue and you just pray. I, I like to journal my prayers because then they can come back and hit me in the head later. Um, and maybe you write down your prayers, um, but you pray... Lord, I don't know what to do about this relationship or this work situation or this friend and their healing. You know, Lord, I'm hungry. Lord, I'm worried. Lord, I'm sad. I'm sick. I'm hopeless. Maybe, maybe you're dramatic like me or the problem is huge and, and you pray like, Lord, if you can get me through this week, or Lord, if you can get me through this challenge or this problem, if you can sustain me through this, this Lord, uh, then I will live differently after that. If you can show me your power and presence here, then I uh, will really believe in you this time. Lord, if you can get me through X, then I will Y. And, and you pray hard, and, and hopefully, and this is so good, it's important to pray and to ask God for what we need. You know, hopefully you get others to pray for you. You put it out on prayer line. You tell your friends and family to pray, and everybody prays. And sometimes, uh, amazingly, in a situation that you didn't think there was any hope for, God comes through, right? Has everybody, anybody ever been in a situation like that? I know some of you have, because we've talked about it, Right? You pray hard and you say, God, please. And, and God does. And you're like, praise God, bread from heaven. A miracle happens. Something that you didn't think there was any possible way you would figure out, uh, God steps in. That relationship that you thought could never find reconciliation finds surprising healing. And it wasn't because you figured it out. That doctor's appointment, um, they, they find that that problem wasn't there like they thought. God's spirit lifts you out of anxiety or frustration and gives you a surprising peace, you know, that peace that passes all understanding. I, I think we all, I hope, maybe have moments big and small when God has showed up like that. And in that moment, it feels so good, doesn't it? I get to talk to people after they have those experiences, and it fills me up. And your, your belly is, is full, and like me, you're just like, God, you're so good, that's amazing. Maybe you tell someone about it. Uh, you thank people for praying, hopefully. Maybe you, you start a new version devotion because you're just like, God, you're so good. This is awesome. Um, and it lasts, right, for like, depending upon the thing. <laughs> it lasts for a few days or a few weeks, a few months, maybe even a couple of years. And things are different, but it, it doesn't take long for that thing that was a big deal that God solved to fade slowly into the past 
and, and, you get, and you get hungry again. It doesn't take long for the fish and the bread to be digested in your stomach, and then you, you need to eat. And the people in Jesus' day, as, as we talked about, I think, last week and in confirmation, the people in Jesus' day are the same kinds of people as the people in our day. They're not any different than us, and, and we're no different from them. And so suddenly, the same people that were getting ready to march into Jerusalem to make Jesus king by force, they're saying, well, Jesus, what sign are you going to give me uh, that we may see and believe you? They're saying, what will you do, uh, Jesus? Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Uh, they're saying, thank you, Jesus, for the lunch. And we say, thank you, God, for showing up in that moment. But I am hungry for more bread. And like a six-year-old that played, played on a tablet for 30 minutes, all we want is more. But Jesus says to them this, and I think he says it to us, and they really don't like it. He's really not playing the hits here. Uh, he says in verse uh, chapter 6, 35b, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, you're hungry, you want bread. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you've seen me and you still don't believe. All those the Father gives to me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he's given me, but raise them up on the last day. Uh, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Jesus says, you're hungry for bread, um, but I am the bread of life, of bigger life than till your next meal. Jesus says to them, and I think to us, he says, I, I know you want bread, but I want to give you eternal life. And then he goes on to say, and he describes it more, you know, he says, I am the bread from heaven. I came down from heaven as God's bread to sustain you. So eat my flesh and drink my blood. Gain eternal life from my sacrifice. This is what Jesus will say in chapter 6. Um, and, and what he's saying is this. It's the same thing that always alienates um, Jesus' followers, always uh, ticks off the base. He says, the things that you think you want, the problems that you think you need me to solve, aren't always actually what you need. He says, you want to stuff your pockets with dinner rolls, but I want you to have steak. You want a meal, but I'm offering life. They want bread. And so they, they argue back and forth. Um, they argue back and forth, like, like them, and, and we're the same, right? We're the same. Uh, we know, we believe in our brains and in our voices sometimes uh, that God is offering eternal life to us, but uh, but we'd much rather have eternal life, yeah, maybe someday, but, but really that promotion, or really that family member apologize, or really that candidate elected, or, or really that worry dealt with, or really that nice piece of bread. Jesus says, I've got eternal bread, and we say, but I'm hungry now, Lord. Well, the crowd, they respond just like we would. They're humans just like us. They respond predictably. They, they want Jesus to play the hits. They want Jesus to fill their needs and bless their plans. And so they start looking for reasons not to believe. You can see it in the argument. They say, but Jesus, if you came from heaven, how is it that I know uh, your mom and dad? 
That doesn't make any sense, they say. Or they say, but Jesus, I know um, that you want to be, you know, how can we possibly eat your flesh and drink your blood? It's crazy. That doesn't make any sense. They, they start finding reasons to disbelieve because they don't, they don't like his message. They want uh, a belly full and a, and a, and a violent uh, leader. And Jesus says to them in, in our objections, uh, our desires, he says, if you can feed on me, if you can connect to me, you will never die. And at that, we start to see that crowd of 5,000 men, that, that Roman legion size, uh, start to dwindle and disappear. Uh, finally, Jesus doesn't have to run across the lake anymore because they start walking away. Because Jesus isn't offering what they think they need. And the next thing you know, even Jesus' disciples, these are people that have followed him from town to town, have seen him do miracles. Uh, some of the, the, the kind of the the second wave of disciples, they start disappearing and walking away. And saying, you know what, um, I hear there's still a good post-Passover party going on. I'm going to go uh, do that. Um, the ones that see in miracles, they say this. Um, they say, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And they realize, I can't. And they walk away. Jesus has managed to offend and alienate even his closest disciples at this point. Uh, but but he, can't, he can't stop. The thousands are down to tens, and Jesus can't stop. Uh, Jesus is aware of the grumbling of his disciples, and he turns to them, and he says this. He says, does this uh, teaching, does this offend you? How are you going to feel then when you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He says, does it bother you that I said I came down from heaven? What are you going to say when I ascend to heaven? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they're full of the spirit and life. Jesus says, these are, this is true. This is a, a truth that's deeper uh, than anything that you, uh, you believe in. He says, yet there are some of you who don't believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say this, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And verse uh, 66, um, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. So from, from 5,000 and families to tens, and then all the other disciples, now they've, they've walked away. And all that's left we see is the 12. Jesus turns the 12. These are the, the guys that have been there from day one. They got in early. They've seen everything. They're the closest to him. And Jesus says, <laughs> he says this, You don't want to leave too, do you? <laughs> to the disciples. And I, I like to think, I like to think, and this is, this, is just a, this is just imagination here, but I like to think that in this moment when Jesus says, you don't want to leave too, you know, I like to think that they stop and they take a breath. You, you can kind of almost feel it in there. They look at each other. Everybody else is gone. Uh, I like to, to think, you know, they've seen it all, and, and I like to think that, you know, Judas is like, he's like looking at his feet and like, um, yeah, I mean... And James and John, they're like elbowing each other, like, say something, what are we going to do? And finally, Peter, Simon Peter, of course, Simon Peter, the one who always talks first, they, they leave it to him. And he looks up at Jesus, and he clears his throat, and he says, um, kind of like, yes, sort of, Jesus, we do want to leave. <laughs> yes, sort of, Jesus, this is offensive. You can hear it in what he says in verse 68. Um, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. 
We've come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Uh, Simon Peter uh, looks at Jesus and says, yes, what you've said doesn't make sense to me. Yes, what you've said offends me. Yes, it is not the hits, but I have nowhere else to go because Peter and the disciples, they've seen who Jesus is. They know that his words are life and that he comes from God. So they say, where can we go? And though it's hard to believe Jesus, Uh, Though he doesn't do the things that they want, though his teaching challenges them and frustrates them and alienates them all the time, they can't leave because they know that Jesus is God and that he speaks eternal life. He says, you're not what we imagined. You don't make sense with the world that we grew up in. You refuse to play the hits. We would like more bread too. Your teachings are hard to believe. And for us, maybe we say, this life is hard. My plans aren't going the way that I want them to go. Things aren't working out. Your teaching makes me uncomfortable and frustrates me, and it separates me from my other allegiances. But where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. That's what it means uh, to, to, follow, to follow Jesus as, as a disciple. Uh, it means sometimes uh, scripture is going to bother us. If, if scripture never bothers you, I, I bet that you're not reading it or you're Jesus. Those are the two, the two options. If it never offends how you think the world should work, I'll bet you're either Jesus or you're not reading it. Because Jesus, he, he offends and bothers us and pushes at the edges. And the invitation to us, because of his death, and resurrection, things that we're desensitized to but are are highly offensive when you think about it. Uh, Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we're invited to say the same thing that his disciples say. To believe in this offensive, challenging, you can't take this guy anywhere, Jesus, Uh, not because he says the things that we want to hear and the things that make us say amen, Not because we like the music, not because we think we'll get more bread, not because he'll help us accomplish our dreams, not because he'll protect our country or our party, not because he'll bless us, not because of anything else, but because uh, Jesus is where life is found. And even if it's hard, even if it's frustrating, even if it separates us from our plans and our goals, we'd rather have life than not. And that is the offer. We want so many things, but Jesus wants more for us than that. Bigger than our plans, better than steak, smith, bread, and tablets, and longer than any life-saving procedure can provide. And so we're invited by him to say, will, will you, will you turn away from whatever that other thing is, anything else, even good things, and put your faith and hope in the one that offends you and separates you and makes things hard sometimes because you believe that life is there. Will you turn and cling to God's chosen one and be sustained by his eternal life And when you're, even when you're offended or frustrated or challenged by him? Will we be able to say, Lord, where else can we go? You have the words of life. Let's pray. Lord, instead of stepping down on earth and taking the throne and twisting the world to your will, you sent your son to live among us, to die on our behalf. 
and to surrender everything so that we might live. You invite us, Lord, to turn away from all of the things, good and bad, that we think matter, all the priorities that are important to us, and instead turn towards you and actually trust that you hold life to say, God, I don't always know where this is going. I don't know what's coming next, but I know I can find life in you. Help us, Lord, to see that difference. Help us, Lord, to make that distinction and help us uh, to be offended by you, but still follow, because where else would we go? In your name, amen. Amen. I'd like to invite the worship team to come forward. Let's conclude our service in praise. Thanks for listening. I want to invite you to join us in worship Sundays at 10 a.m., both in person or online at facebook.com slash Bethel Covenant Church. Thanks and have a great day.